We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. <laughs> Suck it, Toronto. To think that, that a season is championship or championship is, is um, certainly the way we've approached it. To the Miami Heat fans, it was, uh, you're despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Milwaukee, we dogs! James Harden is a massive choker, and he is a bum. Bum. Finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 131. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. Happy Mother's Day to everyone out there. I'm thrilled to be joined by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr from BrewHoop.com as well. Fellas, how are you doing? We're doing good. You're right. Shout out to all the mothers, ours and all the wives of BrewHoop, where a lot of them are mothers as well. Literally without you, the site would not exist because you allow us in a lot of ways. Well, not us because I don't have a kid, but for all the other guys who do have kids, uh, we wouldn't be able to watch as much stupid basketball and talk about it without all your contributions. So respect to the mothers out there. Uh, And it's been good up here. We had really nice weather for the first time in a very long time yesterday. So we went and my fiance wanted me to practice some sand volleyball because for a second week in a row, I was by far the worst player on the team. Uh, and we will see tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, <laughs> Tomorrow's game is at 9.15 at, at night. So I'm hoping with the lights on, with the stage at its brightest, that I'm able to pull through and be at least the second worst player on the team. So I'm doing good on the way. Okay, before you go, Kyle, you Riley, you have to tell us what she made you do for practice. <laughs> we did. I mean, so think of like, if you were trying to teach a six-year-old how to play volleyball and just work from there. So I mean, basic bumps, basic sets, moving side side to side hits, all sorts of stuff like returning. So we would, cause she played volleyball throughout high school. So she like has all her drills down and she wasn't as much of a disciplinarian as apparently her coaches were, but I mean, any sort of like movement, my main issue is like my technique is really bad and that comes down to like bumping it and you know, I'll get in like, okay position, but then it'll kind of kerrang off my forearms or whatever. So uh, we put any sort of drill you can think of that you would try to teach a young child playing volleyball the first time. That's, that's what I was doing down by the Mississippi, just the two of us with no net. It was <laughs> probably pretty embarrassing for other people going by, but you know, the results will show through tomorrow. I'm sure. <laughs> Sounds like the most romantic date you could think of. Uh. <laughs> And the thing is, I could probably picture some of the drills that you had to do because I had to do those as well uh, in middle school and high school. So nice. Um, yeah, the weather was great. So we took the boys to the zoo yesterday. That was a good time. Um, got through Mother's Day. Didn't enough, everything went all right enough. Um, so that was pretty cool. And yeah, I, I guess shout out to the moms out there because they they deserve a lot. And I I know with my wife that. She deals with a lot of shit. Some of it's from the kids. Some of it's from me. So shout out to Emma. Yeah, man. Shout out Taylor. She's uh, against much protestation. I am now doing this podcast late at night as she is getting ready for bed. So shout out Taylor. She lets me watch way too much Buck stuff and she could not care less. I, sometimes it's actively against me doing it. So so good on her. Um, you're, you're awesome. And shout out Haley. 
All right. So shout out to the Milwaukee Bucks as well. You all have, they all have mothers as well. But uh, the good news is they were able to take down the Boston Celtics. We finally got a close game here, 103-101 on Saturday. Giannis Antetokounmpo finally breaks free of, of whatever sort of offensive rut you could say he might have been in in the first two games, even if he played really well. <clears throat> Sees 16 of 30 from the field, 42 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals. Drew also gets up 30 shots, so those two were really soaking up the shot attempts from the field. He's 11 of 30, had a really strong second half, and those two are really down the stretch. They made the final two buckets for the Bucks and were able to win this one. But w- once again, Riley sort of a slugfest from start to finish. That's kind of seems to be the tenor of this series so far, but the Bucks find a way to pull it out even with poor shooting uh, from, you know, from the field once again, from three and they, they have to be feeling, you know, over the moon to be up two one at this point. Probably, especially because they did everything in their power to lose the fourth quarter. They're like, <laughs> how, ma- how much of a lead could we blow here with <laughs> like, it was strange. They had like six minutes left and they still had a decent lead. And it was like, ah, never mind. We don't have a lead anymore. And then they even lost the lead with like <laughs> a minute left. So they made it about as hard as they could. But uh, it like the not a complete difference from game two, but game two the big theme was Drew and Giannis could not have played any worse in the first half, especially the first quarter. And once the Celtics kind of got out and started draining threes, it was game over. In this, uh, Drew was still a little shaky to start the game, but Giannis right from the get-go was ready to rock and roll. And like a couple of Aaron turnovers, but mostly he seemed to have figured the Celtics defense out. He was very aggressive. Um, and then once Drew, Drew locked in, starting in about the third quarter, I think he cut down on the turnovers and things like that and just started really like, that's when he started hoisting the shots. Um, I thought they both played with control. Once things got tight, this is the kind of game where, you know, like two years ago I would have been nervous, but ever since last year, like if things start, it's like a two, three point game one way or the other with like two minutes to go. I'm almost always going to put money down in the box because even in the flow of like rapidly going turnover here, foul call here, errant shot here, whatever it is, um, those two guys, they seem to have a pretty good lock on how to set things up. Like there's no need for Giannis to be the one that sets up the offense. Like he'll get the ball. He'll bring the ball up the court. He'll assess nothing there. Okay. Pass it over to Drew. I'm going to get out the way, drag the defense apart. And then Drew was playing well enough in the second half and in the fourth quarter to open it up and say, okay, well I can just attack it. And like he goes at Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum falls over and Drew has the like mindset or at least, you know, the awareness to pick the ball up and just get the shot up. Like whatever you have to do, get the shot up. Uh, so yeah, they, not the ugliest or not the prettiest win you'll ever see. Uh, but I thought the defense for the team was pretty good. Uh, this was more of, again, like Celtics mean regression back the other way with their three-point shooting. But, um, you know, I think the switch to Grayson Allen, the starting lineup, we'll talk about that. But I thought there was a lot of encouraging things, even though it seems like if we're going to win games as the Bucks, it's going to be on the backs of Drew and Giannis. And Drew is the three-point shooter. That's fine. Giannis is not. That's fine. Um, everybody else isn't going to do a whole bunch. And if that's going to be the case, we're going to have to win through defense. So if that feels a lot like game one in that we're just not going to have a high flying offense, no matter what. And it comes a lot down to how does defense execute in this game? They did it. So it's fine. Yeah, it was interesting because game one and two, 
were kind of a all right. Either some one team's going to have elite defense and it's going to completely neutralize the other. And game two was kind of a the Bucks played terrible and the Celtics made shots and by the second quarter it was over and that's fine. And then you get to game three and it's one of those where it was close in the first quarter, kind of similar to game one, but it consistently stayed close. And we'll get to one of the topics later, but it was definitely one of those where it was just kind of like back and forth. It was not, no team was either able to get enough separation or take advantage of the bonuses or advantages that they had until Milwaukee did so in the third quarter. And, you know, that's when Milwaukee ran out their defense only limited the Celtics to like 17 points or something. I think they, and then Milwaukee themselves scored 34, which is pretty good. But, and, and it's funny because the third quarter, which the Bucks have been terrible at, but I think the biggest thing was how Milwaukee's third quarter run happened. It wasn't necessarily like bang, bang, bang three. It was kind of like a, all right, Celtics missed a shot. Bucks get two points. Celtics missed a shot. Bucks get a layup. Celtics missed a shot. Bucks get missed a shot, get a rebound. It was like the Bucks just slowly chipped away at it. And it was never one of those kind of runs where a, it's an onslaught of threes or, you know, they're creating so much, like creating that many turnovers. Like they, the Celtics were somewhat sloppy, but it was, I mean, they had only 12 turnovers. It's not like Milwaukee was forcing a lot. It just seemed like every turn was a timely turnover. So then you get to the third quarter, Milwaukee has this lead and it's like, okay, cool. We'll just, just continue coasting on by. And it looked like that for half of the fourth quarter. I was like, okay, well, Sure, and then Al Horford just started hitting jumpers. And while on the one hand, it's like, yep, Al Horford taking the shots instead of Jalen Brown or Tatum isn't a bad idea. But at some point, maybe we should guard Al Horford. And it was getting to the point where I was like, okay, someone really needs to go and guard Al Horford, and it just didn't happen. And thankfully, Giannis was able to kind of get his bucket. Drew got the bucket that he needed, and that was all that. I mean, yeah, the Celtics had that chance at the end, but you know, it got to the end of the game, and it was kind of like a just don't do anything stupid don't do anything stupid when you're up three with a couple seconds left and drew got the foul and smart which i which was the correct call and thankfully milwaukee was they did enough they did enough which i i would say in the manner that milwaukee has won they've shot poorly basically all series so there's got to be a game where they are due for a good shooting performance and the fact that they were 9 of 34 <laughs> from three, and Giannis taking the third most attempts is concerning. Um, yeah, Brooke didn't take any. Okay, that's fine. Wes only took two. Sure, flow of the offense. Grayson Allen with the start, which I think that was an interesting call by Bud to switch the starting lineup, take Bobby out, put Grayson Allen in. He only took three shots. Yeah, Giannis, one of six from three. No, Giannis, six threes. That's way too many. That, that is way too many. Like, I'll give Drew whatever, you know, he can take 10 threes. I don't love it, but Drew can earn that. Pat Connaughton taking eight threes, that's exactly what you want to see. Giannis, one of six, though. Uh, I mean, you hit a big one, but still. Get your ass in the paint. Get some post-up touches. And do what you were doing so well in the first half. He definitely has a knack for hitting them when, like, it seems like we need it the most for whatever reason. Like it'll be the most decisive, like, well, he missed all five before, but that one he hit and the crowd goes crazy for it. That was like the Nets game too. It was like, you know, you, the last guy you want on the roster taking the three, he's going to do it and that'll tie the game up. Um, the like the Grayson Allen move. So that was like the biggest change tactically that Budenholzer did. Uh, probably the right move because in this game and in game two, 
you kind of saw the limitations of what Bobby Portis does out there, especially when Brooke and Giannis are also out there. Like they're three guys who have completely different roles as big men. Like Brooke Lopez dropped back. Bobby's the hard hedge. Giannis is like the hunter guy. That's fine. But I think the Celtics kind of started figuring that out. And even in this game in possessions where Bobby was out there seemed like when Al Horford got hot or a lot of possessions for the Celtics, when Bobby's out there, that hard hedge, they figured out how to like work around that pretty easily. And they seem to be getting that like pass to the open shooter and the Bucks have closed out enough where they have to force a second pass. And it's not as crisp for the Celtics. Um, but if you have in this game in game three, I should say Brooke Lopez is out there. It seemed like we went really hard into the traditional zone drop. Like even in game one and two, Brooke was out there hedging, which seemed like a mistake in the first place. Anyhow, I wasn't sure about the decision there. But in this game is a lot more like, okay, if Jason Tatum's going to like make the decision and beat you and knows or Jalen Brown, same thing. That's not the end of the world. And I think that was the right approach. Um, the, The big issues then is it's a simpler defense. You don't have as many moving parts, but a lot of guys still kind of fall asleep or overhelp. Uh, Giannis felt, I don't know if he fell asleep, but he kind of would like lose Horford or lose like Grant Williams a lot, like a lot. And he wouldn't even necessarily lose it. And then be in like a really decisive defensive position. It was kind of like, Oh, the gap passed. There's Brooke. And now I'm kind of here. And now it's like out to whoever it is in the perimeter. So like the, the wing, the drew West defense still, Excellent. I think uh, being able to hide a Grayson Allen on Marcus Smart is great for us. We just, we need Giannis and Brooke to continue to pick it up. Giannis, especially, I think, uh, I think a lot of it kind of ends up falling on him because, uh, you know, it's, it's that fifth guy that he's usually on who's on the perimeter that he, he, if he's not in there to swat the block or swat a shot away, um, his recovery is everything. And usually he's okay, but that's probably the one weakness I would say I'm a little iffy on with the team. But it's probably better to make it simpler than try and figure out like with Bobby out there, if Bobby's not going to get a lot of shots anyhow with the other starters. So I, I think that was a good move by uh Budenholzer overall. There were a lot of numbers coming in that the three big lineup just weren't working nearly as well. I think they were scoring like 60 or something had like a 60 offensive rating or 60 per hundred possessions coming in, which like frankly actually isn't that bad relative to given how the team is kind of scoring overall this series. But <laughs> It, it makes a lot of sense because you saw in game two, they would just do like three or four drive and kicks on one possession. And it's just really hard for three large men to make that many rotations quickly over and over and over retreating out to guys. So I, I think it was a smart move. I'm a little, I, I don't think Pat Compton will ever get in the starting lineup. Grayson Allen, I think was also hampered a little bit by getting in foul trouble very early in this one. And then I didn't think he, he was sometimes he was a bit of a matador eventually in this game. I thought a little bit defensively. So I, I'm a little curious if George Hill ever feels better, like before Chris Middleton, if he somehow gets the start in the starting lineup, Riley is shaking his head. I would be just, I would be a little sneaky curious about that one because Connaughton played 33 minutes in this one. So he played more than Grayson Allen. Maybe that was just foul trouble. But um, so that was the other note is that George Hill returned. But overall, I thought it was a smart move to at least get a little more ball handling in there, especially given how they were using Giannis offensively. I mean, they came out and he was doing a lot more screening, I thought, in this game. And that we kind of saw in the second half of game two kind of start to work for them. They were trying to do dribble handoffs with Grayson or, or Wes. Uh, he was screening from Drew for Drew from the outset, which I which I liked. You know, the overall numbers still don't look good in the half court, but I think those are 
those are looks that they're going to want to do and, and want to work on eventually. So I think overall it just gives Bud a little more malleability. And then it also, you know, it, it makes the forward rotation just a little cleaner. You can have, you can keep Giannis and Brooke out there at one time. The substitution patterns, I think work a little bit easier. So I think, yeah, that was a good move overall by, by Bud in terms of, of slotting in Grayson. Um, I didn't, I, I was kind of surprised that he was going to go with it. I would have figured, you know, Bobby come in a game three, Bobby in a starting lineup, maybe, okay, let's get Bobby going early on. I thought that would have been the move, but maybe because of Boston's decision to relatively, yes, they're still starting Robert Williams, but it's not as much of an issue if you have Bobby out there, because as Riley mentioned, you can hide Grayson Allen on Marcus Martin. It's totally fine. So I thought that was a relatively interesting choice because I thought that would have maybe forced Boston to try and find a new way to defend. I I had no issue with Bobby coming off the bench. I think it works, but it, it definitely caught me off guard. But I don't know, man. I think uh, shout out to Wes Matthews again. He put in another hell of a performance. And despite decisions, uh, he, he did pretty well. Like he definitely made things difficult for Tatum yet again. I mean, Tatum was what, like four, he was 419 and only had 10 points like that was a very impressive defensive showing from West Matthews and only have and Tatum only taken three free throws as well for a guy like him that I just shout out to West Matthews because he has everyone was concerned about not having PJ Tucker and West Matthews has taken care of that issue pretty well so far so I mean I can't really say more about what he did just because he's done a phenomenal job on defense it's interesting thinking about the Bobby thing or like any of the non true Giannis guys because of the starters in the first quarter, the uh, Brooke got a shot. Grayson Allen got a shot. They were the only other starters who took shots. Otherwise it was Giannis and drew. And then a couple of the sub guys, uh, Pat and Bobby put in shots as well. So it looks like from here in the regular season, we would almost always go to Bobby pretty heavy in the first quarter. Uh, in game two, it bit us because drew and Giannis played awful. And, and we should, you know, there's a lot of talk about how awful they've played. Also, credit to the Celtics. I mean, they they Al Horford somehow, some way, continues to be a total nuisance for Giannis uh, on, on the defensive end. And Drew, a lot of his seems to be he's shooting himself in the foot, uh, which is infuriating, but kind of what he does. But it seems like our go-to is these guys are going to get the shots up. Uh, they're the stars, wherever, which is fine. They probably are going to get the best shots. I'm, I just get a little frustrated sometimes because when they are going through it, our d- defense crawls to a halt. Like I think the third quarter, the final four or five minutes, we didn't make a single basket. It just crawls to a, a dead stop. And, you know, a, a situation like this where Brooke Lopez, he finally has like a decent scoring game, goes five of 10 from the floor. We do, he doesn't ask for the ball at all. And we do almost next to nothing for like setting him up. I mean, the Celtics are like the switch happiest team we're going to face in a long time. And it'll be like Brooke Lopez against Peyton Pritchard and and Drew will like kind of look at Brooke and then a look off. He's like, I don't know if I like that matchup so much. Here's I'm going to do my shot. And then even if Brooke does get the ball, you want to talk about a guy who's like, doesn't really drive through anymore. He, he loves the little hook shot and it almost not always, but like if it's going to miss, it's always going to go short. I'm like, man, I just wish this 300 pound dude would kind of like, do a little bit more purposefully. And I think it's just because we don't, it's not part of his offense that we ask for him to do. But in a game like this where, or in a series like this where the Celtics are going to switch a lot, it doesn't have to be your every possession, but do something 
a little more creative than drive and kick or like squeeze screen roll kick, you know, like that's fine. But if the guys aren't going to get the shots up or like, let's, let's make it a little bit easier on you and try and do something a little bit different, you know, that would be my, my, one of my complaints on offense. But uh, for, as far as Bobby, if none of the other starters are going to get shots, anyhow, Bobby's probably best coming off the bench where we're going to need shots anyhow. So it's all good. I thought they did a good job though. Even for as bad as the numbers look, I thought they did a much better job in game three, getting Giannis advantageous mismatches against like Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown, most notably, I, th- I thought I s- he was matched up on him a lot, trying to get Robert Williams. So I thought there was a – they looked a little bit more purposeful in that regard. The, the problem is you just don't see the buck – I mean, if they're if the Celtics are going to switch everything on and off ball, you just don't see a whole lot of like off-ball screening actions in the in the weak side corner or anything, right? Because, you know, part of the calculus is, well, if you're doing that, are you going to be ready when Giannis makes his, you know, drive to the hoop? And he needs to dish out to you. I think I think that's probably a little bit of what Bud is talking about. But you know, obviously, you're they're going to have to figure out something in the half court because they are basically won this game kind of in transition a little bit in that third quarter. It's it's interesting. You look at the I expected to look at the turnover numbers and see it higher for Boston, but for the most part, it wasn't the turnovers. It was just the Bucks were just off the misses breaking down the just going absolutely down, screaming down the court. And then they were able to get buckets before their, the half court defense set for the Celtics. So I thought that was, that was good on their part. And then the South, the, you know, still the half court stuff was still kind of mucky for most of the game here. Yeah. I think that really is what set the difference for Milwaukee was those fast break points. And then because of that, they were able to get a lot of paint looks. And I think they had, I think half their points were in the paint. So the fa- it was because they would get in transition, get a Boston miss, get in transition. And even if they didn't get a Giannis layup or something or a Drew layup, they were able to get good looks in the corner. And I mean, Pat Connaughton had plenty of good looks. They just did not fall. You know, I think if Pat had two more threes that would have fallen, it would have been a different story in terms of the stat line. But it was kind of tough just because, I mean, Bobby had a few looks. Pat had a few good looks. And that's just more because Milwaukee's offense was able to kind of get out and go. And I think that's also why they were able to do so well in the third quarter is it seemed like that was when it was most effective is they were able to, because Boston was missing so many shots, it allowed Milwaukee to keep going, keep going, keep going. And I think that was the issue with the first half is because there's no rhythm to that game. Every time Milwaukee wanted to go, there's a whistle. There's always a whistle. It seemed like every possession. So that kind of slowed things down. And then you see in the third quarter, the whistle's not blowing as much. Milwaukee's able to get more of those fast break opportunities. Milwaukee's able to kind of find their rhythm, and that's when they extend their lead going into the fourth quarter. And then it comes back to whistles and whistles and whistles. And that, I feel like, threw them off, but they handled it as well as they could. And, you know, shout out to them. They made 82% of their free throws. Giannis was 9-12 to from the line. And that you know what? That's going to be great. That's going to be great for me. What, was there anything else that you saw Riley switching from game two to game three? Because we're not going to talk a whole lot about game two. It was pretty awful it was bad. to watch. Yeah, it was bad to watch. Um, the two things that stuck out to me were they got more threes up because that was very alarming that they only got 18 up. And I also – I was just looking at it now. Celtics only had uh, – what was it? Seven corner threes in game three, which is significantly less than the first two games. So I thought those were two things that stuck out to me. Anything else that you saw from the Buck side beyond like starting lineup game two to game three? Um, that's a good question. Uh, first off turnovers from Drew and Giannis, I think in the second half combined, they had a turnover between the two of them. I think the team had three total in the second half, 
the first game, it was just like vintage. What the hell are you guys doing? Like whether it be through the regular season or even in like games one and two against the Bulls. It's like, it's just so many of these passes are just, they're so errant. They make no sense at all. And even in this game or in game three in the start, there was a couple of possessions where like Drew would be baseline and then he'd like whip the ball to try and like go all the way across court to some open shoot. <laughs> like just some of the decision-making is a little questionable. Um, I don't, like, I don't know if, if, if I saw like a ton of difference, obviously like I, I think the recovery on open shooters was a lot better in this game. Um, that was the main thing that I noticed where, the the main guy that they dump it off the Celtics dump it off to a lot is Grant Williams in the corner. At least in this game, they were dumping him. He usually sits in the corner, um, depending on if Giannis is on him or whoever. And the Celtics dump it off to him. And the question is like, how do you contest? How do you close him out? And then how like ready are for, are you for him to pass and start moving to the next guy who was on the perimeter? Um, so I thought running guys off the line was a lot better from the team this time around. Uh, for, as far as like our three point shots, uh, you know, like, like Kyle said, Giannis got the third most up and even Pat, like <laughs> he would get the ball like above his head and even just like throw it up from, he wouldn't have a chance to like reset. So the Celtics like really close this down. But I think even the mere fact of having guys out there and getting the shots up instead of just doing 18, because once you only get <laughs> literally 18 threes, this is 1990s. We know exactly <laughs> what you're doing. Like you had, <laughs> just bewildering choice from Milwaukee and we I mean that continued even the second half of game two um but it just taking them as part of a philosophy to keep the opponents honest uh Giannis in this game good with the mid-ranger I think that was another thing that changed um a lot less head down like trying to plow through three defenders he would get Grant Williams he obviously is like a foot and a half taller than him shot fake get in a rhythm shoot from like the mid-range like no problem no contest like easy shot for him um and just even like the way he finished, get get through contacts. Uh, again, he seemed a little bit more in control when he would throw his body into a defender, but it wouldn't be so blatant that it would be like an automatic charge or like 50-50. Um, so I think just like not being less stupid was the big change from games two to three. <laughs> and like maybe we would have had chance in game two had a couple of our shots fallen in that first quarter. But the big issue was the Celtics got up 15 right away. And then it was just bombs away from three. And we generally, we get like, what was the whole thing in game one? We'll just give up threes. We'll give up threes to whoever. Just hope they beat us. And they, they sure as hell beat the hell out of us in game two. So in this game, I think it was a little bit crisper on making sure the perimeter wasn't as easy an option for the Celtics to get to. Um, and even on the very final possession, uh, Marcus Smart is moving from left to right. He's on the perimeter. It, it, it looked like it, three point game. So they have to get a three up. They only have a couple seconds. Um, but Drew was like right on top of it. Like there was immediate pressure. There was like, you were not going to get an easy shot. I think even in that possession before that, they did the same thing. So uh, probably just better execution uh, on the defensive end, especially on the perimeter would be my main thing. I also feel like it was just a more in control uh, game for Milwaukee. Cause I think in game one, they, it was a chaotic game, but they were in control with that chaos. It was kind of a, you, we're going to have this frantic defense, but it's fine because we have it under control. Game two, it just felt like everything was all over the place. The rotations were all kind of like everything was just chaotic. And it was like they got rattled early. Everything was just out, everything that they planned just went out the window. And now it's like, okay, we have this deficit. Giannis can't get anything in the rim. 
okay, we just got to shoot. Like, we're going to try and shoot threes. And then it just got to the point where I was like, okay, threes aren't working. We we don't know what to do. It was kind of like they just ran out of ideas. They, it just felt like as soon as it got to midway through the second, it was like, okay, we don't – we we tried plan A, which was Giannis, get layups. That didn't work. We tried plan B, Drew gets a basket. That didn't work. We didn't really have a plan C, and we're not hitting threes. And, oh, well, that doesn't help that Giannis and Drew took 10 of the 18. Okay, well – we, we don't know what to do. And then it, even though Giannis got it together in the second half, it was still too little too late. And I think that was also the other thing. It was like they were able to keep their composure. They are able to kind of, okay, Giannis is in a rhythm, which is good. Drew's in a rhythm, which is good. We still can get other guys involved. We could still make sure that it's not just on them. We can try and get, you know, get Bobby a couple points. Get Pat Connaughton a couple points. Get Brooke a couple points. Like, get these other guys involved. Yeah, Giannis and Drew, you could still lead the show and lead the game, but we still need to make sure other guys have opportunities to at least give them that threat. You guys think it's I, – I was just kind of – I was looking at this because I, I think Dave Pash said on the broadcast, Drew Holiday took 20 or more shots six times throughout the whole year, and I, I, I know he did it – I think game one. I don't know if he did it in game two. Obviously, he took 30 in this one, but I was just – Kind of interested. So I was looking at the usage rate. He, he took the... exactly 20 in game two. Okay. Drew. All right. So that's, I mean, that's right there. So there's, he's halved his, his total from the regular season. So I was looking at usage rate solely the second round of the playoffs. Giannis is number two at 39.6 behind Luca. Three, you'll never believe this, Serge Ibaka in his, in his garbage time. And this just gets the shots nice. up. But anyway, the, maestro, so, the maestro, as we like to call him. In yeah. <laughs> so when you're looking at actual players, though, so Giannis is second with 39.6, which is nuts. That's like that's like Westbrookie and uh, triple double level. And then fifth is Drew Holiday. So what what we're seeing is basically two super high usage guys, which isn't all that surprising given what we've seen. But I'm just curious if you think that's you know what you think of that strategy, Riley, so far, if it's sustainable, if it's just is what we have to do. Uh, there's a reason why the offense sucks. It's a god awful thing to watch. <laughs> game one, it sucks. Game two, it was all, horrendous, horrendous. Game three, Giannis, good game, but and but like, there's <laughs> just there is no smoothness to the operation, pretty much at all. There's occasional glimpses where Giannis is in control or Drew does a simple thing, but um, you know, Giannis having that kind of usage rate, that's not surprising. Uh, I would have to go back and look what it was in the uh, finals because uh, obviously like a 50-point game, you're going to have a huge usage rate. But I'm guessing it was pretty high. Drew Holiday, um, he's fine on offense. And like he he's like probably the steadiest player on offense. Giannis can be steady, but obviously given the physicality, like there's limits to that. Drew is the steadiest player, but um, he's streaky. And I think it shows the fact that they are putting so much of the loads onto their own backs and they don't have like a Chris out there or they don't have like a good rhythm with the other guys or like the Celtics are giving them opportunities to get other guys really involved. And so, uh, yeah, the the offense looks bad. Uh, You know, I mean, we're scoring enough, obviously, to win, but uh, I wouldn't say it's a good thing that they have that high of a usage rate. Giannis, that's whatever, like. So long as he executes, that's all to the good for us. Drew probably less so because the Drew is most impactful when he is both a passing and a scoring threat because that freezes the defense and allows him to kind of pick his spots as to which way he's going to go. In this, other teams like the Celtics are going to know it's 
pretty much he's going to be looking to score a lot of the time. And I think that limits his options in terms of how impactful he can be. And we're seeing that all the way down from the offense. And maybe it'll improve a little bit with George Hill if he can play some more minutes. But uh, very George Hillian game. He plays 10 minutes. I'm not sure what he even records in stats. I'm sure he was... He got one assist. Yeah, okay. You they know, didn't give him I mean, that block. He basically had a block in transition on that <laughs> in that second quarter. That's um, and so like you know maybe it'll improve a little bit with him, but uh, he's had DNP old for a month and a half at this point. So we'll see about that. But it's it's not ideal. But we'll start, what else are we going to do? Unless we start suddenly like really including Brooke in the offense, for example, which might be a viable option because he is at this point he's he's the third leg of the big three. Um, but we just we never. Ever since he arrived here, we've never done that. And I, I don't anticipate that changing. I think Budenholzer has learned to a certain extent that he's going. the team is going to live and die on whether or not the best players, a.k.a. Drew and Giannis, in these games perform. And he played Drew with 43 minutes, and he played Giannis 39 minutes. Like He's going all out. He's like, look, either we're going to rise or fall on these guys. And so far, they've pulled us through two games, but it's not like a smooth operation whatsoever at all. Yeah, I it, it's not ideal, but it was always going to be like this when Chris was going to be out. You, it, I figured Drew was going to take on more of an offensive load, which I have no problem with. I think a lot of it does come down to because Milwaukee can't hit shots, no one else on this team can be super effective or they're just not giving Brooke the ball down low. I know when Mitchell was asking after game two, OK, so like what does Milwaukee need to do? And I said Brooke Lopez needs to get more touches because, yes, he, they don't use him that way unless it's kind of a break glass in case of emergency, kind of like what they did against Game 5 of the Hawks at Eastern Conference Finals last year, where it was like, okay, we're just going to give it down low and let Brooke do work. But I think that is kind of why I'm saying Brooke can take Robert Williams. One pump fake, you can get him. And when Robert Williams is out, Brooke has the mismatch on everyone else. So I think if either he can get going down low or if someone on this team can hit some threes, I think that would make the offense flow a little bit better. And then maybe that is where you see more shots for Bobby Portis, more shots for Grayson Allen, more shots for Pat Connaughton. I think that would help as well if they can hit their shots because then it still forces Boston to come out and kind of guard these guys. Because right now, once Milwaukee's not hitting shots early on, it's kind of like, okay, we don't have to worry about those other guys. Like if they're if they're going to hit one or two, so be it. But we have to make sure that Giannis and Drew don't beat us. It's kind of, we're kind of turning into the Celtics where it's like, all right, we're going to throw our two best guys out there and they're going to take a bunch of shots and you're going to throw your two best guys and take a bunch of shots. And whoever comes out of that better wins the game, unless they have a third person that ends up having a vital contribution, which in game three, Al Horford was trying to fill that role. But otherwise it's pretty much Giannis and Drew against Tatum and Brown. And thankfully Tatum has been asked this whole series. So it's, it's worked in Milwaukee's favor. Uh, I would be not concerned yet, but uh, this is like a serious step up in how much Drew is having to do on offense. And he's already given his heart and soul as it is on the defensive end. So, you know, if if this series continues, I think, you know, it'll be a little different now that we do every other game. This game, game three was a little bit different because we literally had four days in between game two and game three. So essentially everybody was coming in totally fresh, but I would be curious, like, you know, Giannis is used to at this point, and obviously he's a bit younger, uh, like going all out on both ends. I think he's kind of figured out his way of like not going super duper hard on defense, but knowing how to be effective. Uh, Drew, I mean, he's getting between him and West, they're getting 
one a and one b on defensive assignments and drew has to get up 30 shots on the other end too i mean you know so far they've answered the call and that's been fine uh i would just be curious about that in which case then it get, goes back to falling back on Giannis, and he has to know and i'm sure he does obviously uh he has to know that game two was unacceptable like totally unacceptable from him he was playing idiotic the choices were really bad um and again, part of that is the Celtics defense. But so long, we we clearly have the best player in the series. Like Jason Tatum has not come anywhere near close to the impact that Giannis had. Even when Giannis has like a crappy game, he still puts up like 25 points, 10 rebounds and five assists or whatever. Um, if that's the case, yeah, it falls on him. And that's, you know, that's a lot of responsibility, but I'm sure he's capable. So it's going to come down to, can he up it? even more is the honest i think he could because in this game 16 to 30 from the floor cut out some of the threes i know he does it just like get in rhythm and that's for his own which is whatever but uh it, it seemed like again so long as he's in control he knows what he's doing he, he should be able to get up like plenty of decent shots like just be ready for the react look for the celtics to kind of fall over the first contact and just follow through like and he did that money at times and he, he was like putting out horford in the spin cycle so uh, the offense looks bad. If that's going to be the case, Giannis is going to have to do it. He did it in game three. Uh, can you do it two more times, please? That would be great. It seemed like he had more success against Al Horford in this one than, than the previous I think he, he's he's starting to figure out what Al's doing. Uh, it, and when he's gotten mismatches against a Tatum or a Grant Williams or whoever, he seems to be a lot more deliberate of taking advantage. Um, I think... Tatum's not really flopping on defense. I think he's trying to actually play it straight up, which seems like a mistake for him, but like, cause obviously Giannis is just going to knock him over. Um, and then as we've seen in so many series, uh, Giannis slowly figures out whoever the man defender is. He's done it against Al Horford in the past. Um, and even though Al's playing way above what I would have reasonably expected from him at his age, uh, Giannis will kind of start to figure things out. And I don't know what the Celtics do about that, but maybe we'll just, He'll miss point blank layups again, so it's kind of kind of a bit of a coin flip at this point. I'll be curious. I'll be I'll be really curious to watch and see how how Drew how Drew handles it. Brooke Brooke has a minuscule usage rate so far. Part of that's probably stemming from the game two, which that was was the you know he's barely heard from in that one. They did a much better job of getting him involved in this one early. He he was really good in the first half. I think he only scored two points in the second half. Um, potentially, he was just missing some bunnies. I. The other, the other guy, I mean, Grayson Allen has to get going if he's going to be playing. He's got to, he's got to hit some threes. They tried to get him going early. I, I, I liked him shooting a three off to, off a DHO from Giannis early in the first. Just, just missed it. Bobby, I, Bobby was getting a little bit uh, exposed on some of his hedges. I think you referenced that earlier, Riley. You know, it, but he was also in that third quarter run. So, the, the thing is, they just need his offense because I think he. He, him and Brooke are maybe the most reliable escape valves out there. And if, if Bobby does have, have even just a slightly smaller wing, even like a Jalen Brown level person, as long as the Celtics don't send a double at him, he can kind of do that slow back down, get to his hook shot or go to a, a mid range jumper, which honestly is, I would say sometimes just as reliable as some of the other offense that we're getting in the half court. So I'd be curious if they find other ways that he might be able to get involved or, or get some shots up because because uh, right now he's one of their most reliable offensive threats too. So um, 
Well, and and he he definitely he also would about your point on the transition offense uh, compared to a Brook. I mean, Bobby will either if if he's not the guy who gets the rebounds, uh, he definitely is like the most get up and go of all the bigs besides Giannis. So I think that's a nice like as an outlet or just even to pull the defense apart a little bit. But the issue is, uh, yes, a defense. I don't even know what we're supposed to do because he's, it's like it's kind of like last year. Where it was like we'll try to shove Bobby into the the zone drop and we'll just see if it works. And it didn't. It was like, well, we'll just keep kind of doing that. Now it seems like the only thing he does is the hard hedge. Um, and maybe it's a little too late to ask him to do a whole bunch else. But I think for a team like the Celtics, they kind of, once they figured that out, like that's going to definitely limit the effect. He still plays like 26, like 25, 26 minutes, which is pretty good. And I think having him as the mobile option off the bench is probably a good thing. Cause it spells Brooke. And kind of get a bit of a different look. Um, and like I said, you're not clogging up or confusing the defense too much. But uh, yeah, if he could score a little bit more, that'd be good. I, it's just, you know, far be like far be it from me, the guy who was saying it was going to be a sweep a week ago to be like, oh, I don't know. It seems a little <laughs> iffy now. Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely some contributions from other people would be greatly, deeply appreciated. Please, somebody. Yeah, I mean, Bobby's doing not great defensively, but I mean, that would be a big ask. Walking overall as a whole is doing enough defensively. It's the offense that has completely disappeared for stretches of time where it's like, okay, I get that Boston's defense is really good, but you're also not helping the case with missing all these shots. Can you make some shots? Like I said, at some point they got to be, I keep thinking they should be due for a game where they shoot 40% for three. And then I remember they didn't do that last year, except for like one game against Miami. And so why should I expect them this postseason? It, it is. It's so true, Kyle. Honestly, we, we, we talk about all these different sets, all these different things they can run. And then one game they'll hit 40% from three. And it's like offense is solved. It is so crisp and clean <laughs> out there. It looks so much better. <laughs> It's so I think I, I think I figured out the secret, guys. I, I <laughs> tune in this week on the Brew Hoop podcast where we detail the secrets to the Milwaukee success and game whatever. Yeah, no, it's uh, making shots certainly helps for sure. Making shots always helps. Start okay. Milwaukee. All right, let's talk about a little bit about the free throw disparity and um, and some of the interesting calls. Okay, so Buck shoots seventeen free throws in this one. Celtics shoot thirty four. I think it's the what was the I think um uh geez save our bucks at Paul Pressy twenty five had the had that this I think I saw he had this first seventeen straight free throws for the Celtics to end this game which is crazy if you look at the free throw rate for the Celtics in this one it was thirty two point two bucks was fourteen point one and now so this is this is against the Bucks who were second in the league in the regular season for opponent free throw rate of sixteen point four. So basically half of what they normally do, the Bucks had more shots at the rim. Uh, you know, I could keep going on and on. I, I, I won't say it was like the most egregious thing, but I did think the free throw rate was definitely a talking point after this one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to start with this because it was, and I'll, I'll admit, like in the heat of the moment and watching it live, it was frustrating. Like I said, the second quarter, especially because it seems like every possession there is a whistle. Yes. Every yeah. single time something was happening. It was like, it was just getting to the point. I was like, how the hell are we supposed to get this basketball game done at this rate? Like no one's going to have enough fouls. And it was just frustrating. I think the, for me, one of the breaking points was 
Giannis getting calls for an offensive foul. It's like, okay, whatever. And then Tatum at the end of the first quarter completely shoving Wes over, and that just didn't get called. And I was like, okay, so we're not even being consistent. That's it. Like, fine. If you're going to be, like, blatantly whistle-happy, then be consistent with the whistle. And that didn't happen. And then the free throw disparity was just getting to the point where I was like, okay, well, this is annoying. And then only to turn around and we get to the end of the game and Milwaukee doesn't shoot a free throw for the last 16 minutes of the game. And Drew taking 30 shots and not one, not taking one single free throw. It's like, okay, what's going on? And then he, Drew gets the foul on Smart before it gets into a shooting motion. Smart's not even looking at the hoop when he's taking the shot. So then people are arguing about that. And then you're going to talk about all oh, the fouls down low. And it's like, what the, f- what are we even bothering for? Like, and I got to the point where I was like, I don't know how the Celtics could sit here and say they're getting screwed over by the refs. First of all, the day that the NBA decides, yes, we must rig these games for the Milwaukee Bucks, <laughs> I will pay someone a hundred dollars. The first buck person that wore Bucks gear on the streets of Madison, I will give them a hundred bucks. I will Venmo you. If they ever rig a series for the Milwaukee Bucks over the Boston Celtics. Second, Udoka is over here early in the season. Like, I don't want my team being these guys that like complain and have to flop. And it's like, my brother in Christ, you have Marcus Smart. Like, you cannot sit here and talk about <laughs> flopping and how it's going to be an issue. Like, Keith Smith is over here tweeting about how this is going to be the most like obnoxious flop. That's like, again, my brother in Christ, you have Marcus Smart. Do not come at me with this nonsense. And it's just like, it was just more the complaining and complaining of the Celtics fan. It reminded me a little bit of the NBA Finals when the Suns were doing that. And honestly, like, I, I don't know what. Milwaukee, like props to Milwaukee for relatively keeping their heads in all of this, but I, I feel like the people that are complaining that the refs were wrong, and then the two minute report comes out, and it's like, nope, Drew did not follow Tatum, and in fact, Tatum followed Drew, so we should have called that. It would have been an and one, and the Bucks would have been up four. Nope, Drew did not follow Marcus Smart. It was not a shooting foul. We made the right call, and it's like, so after all this, a lot of these media people, and then they're complaining about, oh, Giannis does this. It's like, well. You were just talking about how you're physical with KD. Like, maybe go lift some weights. Take some steroids. Get better. Like, stop complaining about Giannis being able to barrel people over when it's not Giannis's fault. Like, learn how to guard him properly. Watch 2019 Toronto and see how they did it. That is the one team that has successfully been able to guard Giannis, put up this wall, and make it work without incessantly following him. And I guess Miami too, but I, I think that's just more of the bubble. The bubble doesn't count. So I, I, I'm just sick of the Celtics fans complaining. I'm sick of the Celtics players and coaches complaining. It's like, this is clearly the plot you lost. Like, if you're going to be upset about anything, how about talking to Jason Tatum and then the two games that they've lost? He's been terrible. Talk to him and tell him to be better. Maybe talk to Marcus Smart, who clearly is hampering this team's offense. Like, let's point fingers at other people. Because if you shoot 34 free throws and Milwaukee only shoots 17 and you and Milwaukee doesn't get a single free throw in the whole fourth quarter, that's not a refereeing problem. That's a you not being able to do your job. There are three things I want to note here. One, you know that the Boston crowd with the incessant refuse suck chant, that makes a difference. And the and the Milwaukee crowd doesn't even know the game's going on, so that doesn't help. We don't we need to up our refs you suck counts from the Milwaukee crowd, the Milwaukee faithful. Two, it's crazy watching the Celtics, like how often something happens and they're immediately at the referee, like Jason Tatum a lot, like a lot. And 
he is getting like roughed up, like we're playing him physical defense, but he goes to the refs a lot. And they're always, they play a man down like a lot of the time. Cause it's like even Grant, like Grant Williams. I'm like, who are, why are you, why are you of all people like over there chatting up the ref about it? We don't really do that all that much. Um, usually if it's like a stop, like a dead ball or something, we might complain, but otherwise in the like heat of the moment, they do a lot of complaining. Uh, and then the, so I didn't watch the game live, so I was able to like avoid the I knew what the result was, so I could avoid the like, oh, crap, we're going to lose this because they're they're just going to give them a ton of free throws. So I knew we were going to come out in the end. It felt like in the second quarter, I think it was the second quarter, racked up a lot of ticky. They were calling a lot of ticky tack stuff on the Bucks, or like, you know, like physical off ball or like sort of like Brooke Lopez was trying to like rebounds near the hoop and they were calling him for a lot of stuff like it was a lot of off ball stuff or like not even shooting fouls that added up. And then you got into the bonus with like five minutes left, six minutes left. I tuned in, like I started up the fourth quarter. There were 10 minutes of game time left. And in the broadcast, there was 40 to 45 minutes of like broadcast time left. I was like, this is going to turn into the greatest ref show I've seen in a very long time. And it did. It was again, a lot of it was like, we, we get a couple of off ball fouls and they start adding up. And all of a sudden it's like, five minutes left and they're in the bonus. And for whatever reason, the refs are calling like any sort of like sort of contact a foul. And like you guys said, they didn't really seem interested in going back the other direction. Um, I don't, I don't know what to do about it. I don't know if it was just a Zarba special um, because it's not like we weren't attacking the paint and it's not like people don't hammer the hell out of Giannis constantly. That's, that's all they do. Um, so I don't really know what to say about it. I, like glad we won in spite of it. I, th- I think some of the disparity was chalked up to the fact that we went to the bonus as early as we did in some of the quarters. Um, but some of the other stuff I was like, I don't know, you know, I mean, can you like guys please just fight for like the basketball or whatever? Like it, it's kind of a halfway iffy, iffy. Can you just let it go, please? If it's so, um, I don't know what I would exactly ask, but yes, it was, it was a bit frustrating to watch. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I came in maybe being like, you know, I. it's weird that Drew Holiday did not get a free throw. Also, for my money, he isn't like a guy that always is the best at initiating contact at the rim. The Bucks don't have Chris Middleton, who's one of their best free throw drawers. But, I mean, Boston isn't a team that draws that many free throw rate. Their free throw rate for the regular season was almost exactly like Milwaukee's. The call, The free throw rate they had at this playoff game would have been there seventh highest for the entire season, uh, which seems kind of crazy in, in a playoff game. They're just the, the ones that really got me were like Derek white driving in and getting a, several free throws on Pat Connaughton, which like, I get it. If you want to give Tatum calls or Brown calls, it's like late in the game, he was driving in, he was, he was getting hacked. Like I can understand that, but Derek white, like early in the game, driving on Pat Connaughton, you just let that just let that stuff go. That that stuff was was what was really ridiculous the, to me. The league respects its stars, Adam. Okay, remember that number one, yeah. Derek White's of the world. The league respects its stars. That's a, yep, that's a, absolutely that's a great point. Yeah, I, I mean, it was just that was really the one that that felt really strange to me. I had to just seeing Derek White be able to get those. Well, and it's also the thing of like it's not just the series where the refs have been a mess. I mean, yeah. all you got to do is look over out west, and the refs have completely lost control of Grizzlies-Warriors. They are 
abysmal with the Suns and um, Mavericks, which, I mean, when you have Chris Paul and Luka Doncic, it's going to be hard to try and keep order there. Even, like, the Philly-Miami one, which I thought would be the most ridiculous one because Philly has the two biggest grifters in the league, and that's actually been relatively fine. So, I I mean, the refereeing has been abysmal the whole postseason. So what happened yesterday in Milwaukee was not surprising. It's just frustrating that the team that got the most benefit out of it has been continuously complaining. But shout out Giannis for asking about the fine. He was kind of like, wait, how much is this? 20000 No, I got diapers to pay. I felt that. I understood it. It's not worth the fine. Um, I, I think it's a real shame because these are two teams that play like really physical basketball. And if if the refs had a bit of a looser like leash on things, it probably like you would get some like super like decisive classic games of like, it, it should be a grudge match. Once we hear all the time of like, Oh, when basketball gets the playoffs, it gets really physical, which is, is true to a certain extent. Um, but in a game like this, I mean, it's not a good product for everybody watching at home, especially when it's like the ticky tack, like in between kind of stuff, you know, the very obvious hack files, that's whatever I thought like Grant Williams, when he was, he like, bear hugged Giannis and kind of like held on for a little bit. I thought that was fine for them to just do a common foul. They kind of just got kind of caught up, like no big deal there. You know, so long as you keep it from turning into like a legit, like dudes are starting to fight each other. Um, you can probably kind of let things go a little bit more than they have so far. It's, it's, it's so it's mostly a shame just simply from like the aesthetic of watching basketball. We're not getting fun basketball from what we've seen so far so that's that's probably besides the fact of like how it affects wins and losses is the other thing it's like it's not fun i i habitually skip free throws when i rewatch a game so like when every 30 seconds i have to click the skip a minute ahead button that's not fun that's not good that's not what the league should be going for so uh they're not going to change it now because it's the middle of the playoffs but uh let's keep an eye on that for the future yeah, that's the thing is it's just not it's just not doesn't make for fun discourse about a game like I I haven't had to I haven't been itching to see the last two minute report of any game this entire year. And it was felt like an event when it was released for this one. And I it, it that that discussing that part of basketball is not very exciting to me. So like you said, Riley, I, I would much prefer they just maybe have a little bit of a looser whistle, like allow allow this kind of stuff to go on. I mean. Tatum can be aggressive with his off elbow. Some of the most interesting possessions are when Giannis gets aggressive with Grant Williams and those two are, are battling down low and Grant Williams doesn't fall over or flop. Like that stuff is, is really interesting. So I, I've been glad that they're, they, you know, sometimes let that stuff go, but they just got to find a way to make it more consistent game to game. And And it's super annoying too, because like we go after the game, and I go to like the Celtics blog, not having watched the game live. I go to like, look at the comments, both in our and the group comments, or I'm sure it was on Twitter too. It's just, I, all the discussion is like, Oh, the refs, the refs, 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 refs. I'm like, can we, can we please set it up so that we can talk a little bit more about the players? Uh, it, I don't even think it's the refs, you know, quite obviously trying to make themselves like the star of the show, but it's just a shame for like what it does for the discourse too. Cause you know, for, for whatever reason, I didn't really get it from the Celtics fans perspective, but if, if they, you know, there's no, nothing worse than being a fan and feeling like super aggrieved that like we would have won if, but for the refs, like cert- that's a certain extent. That's like excusing your teams falling short, but uh, it, it just sucks that that's what 
a lot of the breakdown is going to be is like, oh, well, the refs. refs. I haven't even listened to like any national podcast or anything, but I'm sure they'll talk about it. I avoid that at all costs because just based off of some of the tweets from national people, I was like, this is ridiculous. And granted, one of those Skip Bayless who I just don't take seriously in any way, shape, or form. But then you have like Mike Wilbon out here. You have plenty of guys that are out here. It's just like, I just have to roll my eyes. And that's why, like, when the two-minute report came out, I was like, I don't even care what the two-minute report comes out because it's not going to change people's mind. Like, it's go- like nothing about this two-minute report is going to change anyone's perspective. If anything, it's just going to either, A, add to them thinking it's some conspiracy, or, B, if it was reversed and said, oh, yeah, our bad and smart call, but then it would have been, well, the Bucks wouldn't have won if this was called correct. I was like, okay, and it's over. Not fun. It's not fun to talk about. So hopefully we don't have to talk about it going forward. And it it really was just the the disparity just seemed kind of wild in this one. So we'll we'll see what'll happen in the other games. Um, all right, we're gonna take a real quick break. I've just basically been forgetting to take ad breaks lately, so we're gonna do that in this one real quick. On the other side of it, we'll just talk briefly about what we expect going forward. So stay tuned. All right, we're back. Riley, what, where do you think the series is gonna go from here? So Bucks are up two one. You have Bucks in five. That's still alive, so there's still a chance. What, what do you What do you see going forward? The, the The discerning listener of the Brew Hoop podcast will have noted that I did hedge last week and say there's a chance the Celtics play better. Now I didn't see the Celtics blowing us out by thirty. I didn't predict that <laughs> happening game two, uh, and I didn't predict game three to be us being like, "Well, we don't really know what we're doing uh, all that well. Like we're okay, but you know, we're gonna make it iffy." I still expect the Bucks to win it in five. Um, I think switching to Grayson Allen and having a simplified defense will go a long way. Still iffy about the variance with the shooting, but um, so long as the team keeps it close, if we can survive like the three-point barrage and clean up on that, I have confidence in us grinding through it. It's not going to be pretty. I don't think there's going to be a game where we win by like 20 plus points. I, you know, I, I hope Kyle's faith that we will eventually have a 40% shooting nights comes true. Uh, I've very rare occurrence for playoff Milwaukee Bucks basketball. So it's going to be ugly. Um, there's going to be probably a ton more controversy, but I think we will continue to hang tough. Um, there'll probably be a good Tatum game. But the hope then is that maybe Al Horford or Jalen Brown, who have who've both played, you know, these past two games, especially above like where you would probably normally expect, maybe they fall back down a little bit and Giannis and Drew continue to keep chucking along. So I'm going to predict we still win in five, but it's not going to be glorious. It is going to be ugly all the way through. Yeah, I still think it's going. I, I'm sticking with the Bucks winning in six, even after that I had after game one. And the biggest reason is, I feel like Boston's going to use a lot of their energy in trying to game the referees. And um, when you come out and say maybe we should flop more, I don't think that's an effective strategy. And I think that's going to burn the Celtics. I don't know. Maybe telling the everyone in the world, we're going to just flop and try and con these refs. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work. But I, I, I did predict that Boston would have a game where they would just shoot us out of the gym. Granted, I thought it was going to be from a guy like Peyton Pritchard, but Grant Williams and Jalen Brown, I guess, will take that instead. Um, so I do think Milwaukee would win game four, go to Boston, struggle a bit. You know, I think Boston's going to kind of go all out, kind of throw the kitchen sink at it and get, win game five, and then Milwaukee handles its business at home. I mean, the Bucks have been 
really, really good at home the last couple years. Uh, since Bud has been there, they've lost, I think, what, three or four total postseason games at, in Pfizer form. So that's pretty damn impressive. So I, I think they'll continue doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think they'll continue to roll. So I'll say the Bucks will win in six. Adam, at much as Bucks and five is still in play, Celtics and seven is also still in play. Uh, <laughs> what, if, what, <laughs> what do you think? I'd love to. Yeah, let me talk. Let me talk myself and rationalize Celtics and seven. I mean, here's the thing: the Celtics played about as well as they could in the second game. Bucks just looked awful. This one was a, was a toss up. Came down to late game execution. For as much as Boston was good in the first round against the Nets, I would always give the nod to the Bucs in that regard. They've been there before. They showed all year. I think they were the second-best clutch team all year uh, behind the Phoenix Suns. So I I give them the edge in that regard. If these games come down to that, I'm going to trust in Giannis. And he's looking like he's figuring stuff out offensively. So I think there's a really good chance Jason Tatum will be better. I think he'll be able to help them possibly win a game. I don't know if Jalen Brown can keep up this level of, of offense. We'll have to see, but I still think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a long series. I think all these games are going to swing. Who knows if all of a sudden the Celtics start hitting shots. It's like I said before, it's so hard to look past just the last sample size that we have. And Mm -hmm. especially in a series where things, People keep switching stuff game to game. Like we had that we had the game one where Bucks look awesome. Game two, Celtics clearly have a really strong drive and kick strategy. Bucks defense looks a little uh, discombobulated. They can't score at all. Giannis looks lost. All of a sudden, Giannis is found. Bucks seem to know what they're doing. And we had this starting lineup change. So, you know, it seems like that's the solution. But I, I think there's another counterpunch Boston is going to be able to throw. There are, they, they do already have a really tight rotation is one thing. I mean, they played Daniel Tice for two minutes and it was really scary, really scary for them. So (laughs) I I am curious to see still going forward. I mean, Bud has George Hill coming back. He basically got all of Javon Carter's minutes. I I kind of like George Hill coming back, even if he is, has been out for a super long time, just because he gives you a little length and at the very minimum, someone who can handle the ball. I I don't, I didn't mind Javon Carter doing that, but I kind of like, I just trust George Hill a little more. So it's just really interesting. I, st- I still feel like there's a lot of stuff to play out in this series. We've seen three very different games. The one through line has been no one can no one can score outside of Boston, kind of in the second one. But even then, like you know, whatever. Bucks defense was really good in the second half. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard because you could look at game one and be like, well, the Bucks played like really excellent defense, and they, okay, let's throw that one out. And okay, game two, Boston, the first half led like a really great offense, even though they started falling back to earth. Okay, throw that out. Game three, it's sort of in between. So you're like, well, this is maybe what it's more like. But like you said, both teams have like changed things up. I don't know what, like you know, I, I'm curious whether it's a lineup change for Boston because right now. Uh, I would say the Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, like that, that's all good for us because that's two more guys that we don't have to worry about from three point land for the most part. Um, so like does do the Celtics shift there? Uh, and then how do we go? But, you know, I, I think game three is probably more like what it's going to end up being from here on out. Cause I think we've kind of, both teams have figured out a little bit like, okay, Celtics kind of know what to expect from us defensively, our principles, we know how the Celtics are going to try and like attack that. Okay. How can we counter that? And then for us offensively, we don't have a lot of tools like in the toolbox, except for other guys hitting shots. They, maybe the Celtics have something a little bit different because like NL Horford or Grant Williams or, 
maybe Derek White kind of handles the ball. Like they might have a little bit more flexibility there. So it's just going to, you know, don't be surprised if there's again, another adjustment period in game four through like the first half where one team, like maybe the Celtics have the upper hand because they have a different shift. And then how is it such a huge hole that the Bucks can't climb out of it? Or do they keep close and then kind of figure it out? So um, I would not be surprised if a lot of the results from here on out are pretty close one way or the other. Should have be. you guys come? Have you guys come to respect the Celtics? I suppose me being the big braggart, I, I I've come to uh, slightly respect what they've been capable of. Uh, I thought for sure we were going to just smother them. Uh, we have not, unfortunately. So I've come to respect it a little bit. I mean, I went into the series knowing that Boston was going to be a legitimate team to take seriously. I still feel that way, but after Game One, I was kind of like, okay. The Bucks should win this series. I, even without Chris, I, going into this series, like, yeah, the Bucks could win in seven. Like, yeah, I know Chris is going to hurt, but the Bucks should be able to do it because they still have the best player in the series. And then after game, I was like, yeah, if I mean, the defense is not going to. I don't think the defense is going to change that much. So as long as the Bucks' offense could do what it needs to, it should it should handle it. And I still kind of feel that way. Um, so I mean, I mean, my view of them hasn't changed. I still despise Celtics fans. I still despise the national media's love of the Celtics. But the team itself is, I mean, they're a good team. They're, you know, they are a serious team. They're a team that I have to consider, like, okay, they're they're not going to be a pushover. But the Bucs should still win. They're a good team. I, I kind of don't want to hear any more about it. I, I get that their defense is really good, but just, Acknowledge, please, that Milwaukee's defense is equally as good and also was freaking fantastic last year. If anyone wants to mention Boston's defense, which has gone through seven playoff games so far. So let's just slow our roll a little. You know, I knew they would be good. I mean, I picked them in seven. I think it's pretty impressive that Milwaukee is up 2-1 without their best half-court offensive player. And that's clearly showing. So I think... You know, lends a lot of credence to the idea that I think the Bucks would definitely uh, have won this series. Maybe not easily, but I think they definitely would have won it with Chris Middleton. And just a testament to Giannis and Drew, too, uh, just what they've been able to do so far. And kudos to the complimentary players as well. So some some begrudging respect for them. I, I really don't enjoy any of their theatrics or complaining to the refs that I, I didn't honestly if they could just get rid of Marcus that. smart I would be <laughs> 10 times happier with that and mute Anna Horford on t- Twitter if they could do uh, those two things I would be perfectly fine with this team there's your game four adjustments from Kyle Carr uh are, do you you respect them Riley is that is that what you're saying you have slightly more uh, for now, the second we win the series, I'm going in. So uh, <laughs> this, is, this is a temporary truce that lasts only so long as the series lasts, and then I'm going all the way in. So, But for the moment, they, they drew blood against us. Nobody makes our ble- us bleed our own blood. Uh, I have to respect them for that. Uh, but it's, it's temporary. Don't worry. Perfect. All right. Well, we're, we're going to close it out here. Go to brewhoop.com for all of our continuing coverage of the playoffs. Uh, make sure to follow brewhoop. And uh, follow Kyle too. We're going to be doing any any Twitter spaces as well. Also, make sure yeah, to follow. Back on that. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> I didn't have sure... time to do it for Game Three. I was yeah. Parenting got in the way. Parenting is much more important. Also, follow uh, our our guy who's in in the arena, Gabe Stoltz. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. He is uh, he's been tweeting out some great post game presser 
uh, notes so and, and quotes. So kudos to Gabe. Always appreciate him going to the games, being our, our man on the street. So next time we talk to you, might be after Game 7, if there is a Game 7, because it's every other day from here on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. So you might not hear from us until the series is over. So this will live on until then. Maybe we'll do an emergency <laughs> one in between. Then we'll, we'll decide. But go to Brew Hoop. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.